truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today. Live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. You're on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre here with me as are all of you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Or you can email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And for those of you that are listening today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us one of those five-star reviews, thank you, please. Consider doing so if you dig what we do. If you don't, don't lie. But if you kind of like it, maybe embellish all the more. All right. Uh, and then uh, thank you to all of you that have left us those thousands of five-star reviews we have received. Uh, the algorithms will continue uh, smiling upon me uh, if you, uh, thou, continue to do this for us. So thank you. Pack show for you today, our good friend. I don't know why I said that. He's been on the show like twice. You know what it is? Talk about projecting. Yeah. It, it's what I know is coming. That I'm in this whole art of the deal mood right now. My good friend Kevin Sorbo has been on this show twice. We've known each other for a long time. All right, he's going to join us about his movie coming up. Uh, what is it? A week from today, actually, when the Reliant is released. So we're going to talk to Kevin about that. Uh, Theology Thursday coming up next hour. I still have no idea what the topic will be because I haven't decided what it is I want us to address yet. So that's kind of cool, right? You know what? Since I don't know what we're going to do, let's do predestination. What do you think? And then when people don't like it, they'll say, hey, we, it, this, this topic was predestined, so it's not my fault, right? I'm the victim here. Holy Spirit power. Yes, uh, three non-political questions coming up here at the end of the program. But before we get to all of those uh, zany hijinks, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Unforced Errors. President Trump sent the following letter to Turkish dictator Tayyip Erdogan. Dear Mr. President, let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy, and I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Bunsen. I have worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the world down. You can make a great deal. General Mazum is willing to negotiate with you, and he's willing to make concessions that they would have never made in the past. I'm confidentially enclosing a copy of his letter to me just received. History will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. I will call you later. Sincerely, Donald Trump. Erdogan responded to the letter on video. Oh, that is true. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> An astute observation has led to laughter. Trump also said this about the Kurds. Now, the PKK, which is a part of the Kurds, as you know, is uh, probably uh, worse at terror and more of a terrorist threat in many ways than ISIS. And uh, the Kurds are much safer right now, but the Kurds know how to fight. And as I said, they're not angels. They're not angels. Apparently, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi walked out of a meeting with President Trump. He called you a communist? Can you just elaborate no, he didn't call on that? He did not call us a communist. He said, yes. He said, let's just clarify that. He said the communists 
are taking or, or some of ISIS were communists, and you and would be happy. That might make you happy. That might, happy. That might make you happy. Everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Congressman Elijah Cummings passed away early this morning at the age of 68. Cummings' office said he died due to complications from long-standing health challenges. Megyn Kelly returned to her former former employer to blast her just former employer over their coverage of the Brett Kavanaugh debacle. Well, I mean, there's no question that the the reporting that was done at NBC on somebody like, let's take Julie Swetnick, right. who was the completely discredited, alleged third accuser against Kavanaugh. This is the woman whose story had, I mean, tons of holes in it. She was, you know, the, there was a date rape and everybody saw it and then nobody saw it. And she basically imploded on the air. This is an Avenatti client. Remember yes. her? Vividly. They went to air with that story with far less trepidation than they showed in going to air on the Harvey Weinstein story, for which they had tapes. They had tapes. They had witnesses. They had women on the record. Rose McGowan was just one of them. And, and there is a question of why. Yesterday was International Pronouns Day, and a police chief from the Cheshire United Kingdom Police Department issued this warning. Being misgendered can have a huge impact on somebody and their personal well-being. It also can be used as a form of abuse for somebody, and that just isn't right. Today is about raising awareness, getting people to have conversations, and understanding why it is so important to understand the pronouns that somebody wishes to be used for them. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Planned Parenthood tweets, respect people's pronouns and use them. And if you don't know someone's pronouns, it's okay to ask. It's also okay if you mess up a person's pronouns by accident. It happens. Just apologize and make an effort to use correct pronouns in the future. Actress Julia Louise Dreyfus said some things about some stuff. Hey, did you know women don't have equal rights in the U.S. Constitution? Yeah, incredible, isn't it? But we can fix that by flipping Virginia's state legislature on November 5th. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, I don't know what the 5th and 14th Amendments are. No sé cuáles son las enmiendas 5 y 14. New Pew Research Center data finds the number of Americans identifying as Christians is tumbling rapidly. The data estimates 167 million Americans identify as Christians right now. That's down from their estimate of 178 million in 2009. Meanwhile, those who call themselves religiously unaffiliated have risen to 68 million, up from an estimated 39 million in 2009. And finally, no matter how bad of a week you've had, it's probably not as bad as this guy's. Other than that, though, I don't, I don't see any differences with you. You're kind of weak when you get up because your knees. Oh, so, oh, no, no, whoa, 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 dude. That's pee. And that's what happened while we were away. That was his urine, wasn't it? Yeah. You're right. We haven't had as bad a week as that guy. You're right about that. Indeed. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at Patriot Mobile. As you have watched the NBA kneel for the anthem, but uh, stand for the Chinese the last couple of weeks, maybe the richest living athlete on planet Earth, LeBron James, uh, with stuff coming out of his head, you know, um, um, like a total a-hole. Uh, you're talking about how great uh, Chinese uh, uh, tyrants and oppression are. Another reminder, um, corporate America, not your buddy. All right, now, we, we can't always choose to do business with people uh, that agree with us on certain things because 
you don't always have that option. But when we do, let's take advantage of it. And one of the places where you have that option is in a purchase that almost every Americans have to make nowadays. That's a mobile phone. Check out Patriot Mobile plans starting as low as $25 a month with all of the same nationwide coverage that you get uh, from all of the big wigs. But instead of those companies turning around and donating your money to the same causes that come out of LeBron James's brain, uh, they actually donate to the causes that you agree with and believe in. In fact, they've given about $2 million to various uh, pro-America conservative causes uh, over the last uh, few years. All right. So uh, they've also got some outstanding incentives right now. For example, there's still time for you to get that Moto Z3 Play for only $5 a month. But they're running out, so don't wait. And back by popular demand, they'll waive the activation fee on up to two lines when you use the offer code BLAZE. When you go to patriotmobile.com slash blaze. Again, that's patriotmobile.com slash blaze. All right, let's get to the montage. Um, Bullet points seven and nine in your montage, I think, go together. All right, the the decline of Christianity in America as marked by Pew Research. And keep in mind when you're talking about those, let's just round it off. It was somewhere around 110 million, somewhere around there, right? Uh, it was a little bit more than that. I it believe it was, was 167 million people identify as 167. Christians. 167. Yeah. Okay, and it was 170 10 years ago. 178 10 178 years. 178 yeah. 10 years ago. Okay, so roughly 170 million identify uh, of Americans identify as Christians. Um which is somewhere around about half the population. Because I think the population is what, about 350, 360 million? Isn't that what it is? Somewhere around uh, there? So roughly is it that ha- high now? Is it yeah, that? Yeah, okay, yeah. but so, you're so close. Roughly half the population identifies as Christian. But you have to also understand, do they even know what that means? Like, I could, we live in the day, we just had pronoun day. Okay, so do I, um, do I understand what it is I claim to believe? Well, a lot of people just believe nowadays that they determine the belief system of their beliefs. Like, like if you don't believe Jesus didn't walk out of a tomb, that somehow it means it didn't happen. When really your belief of whether Jesus walked out of a tomb has negative integer relevance on whether it happened or not. Doesn't mean that it did happen because you don't believe in it either. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that event either is an, that's an objective fact or not. He either walked out of a tomb on the third day after being dead, or he didn't. The fact you don't believe that has no bearing on the veracity of the claim. The claim is a standalone claim, and it is, it is to be examined based on the evidence, not your beliefs. You're, 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 the weather forecast today doesn't care what your beliefs are. Well, I wouldn't worship a God that does that. So... So buttons on your underwear. What the hell? Why do I care? Why should I care what God you would and wouldn't worship based on your own opinions? That's, that's a you problem. And that you, essentially, if you're basing the God you would worship on your opinions, guess who's God? You. And I even care less now than I did going into this conversation, which I didn't think was, was going to be accomplished, but we managed to get there. All right. So a lot of people think based on what they believe, things are true. And that's not true. Things are true. Because they're true, whether you believe them or not. And things are false because they're false, whether you believe them or not, too. And when you, when you live in a culture 
where a lot of people was it Barna that had the poll last year? A majority of of Christians didn't know what the either didn't know what the Great Commission was or thought that they had a, um, a you know an obligation to fulfill it, something along those lines, right? right? You know, Barna will show you. Well, and what George Barna does essentially is take data that Pew gives you and, and puts a worldview on it. What, when, when people put these labels on it, what did they believe? And, you know, Barna will tell you somewhere around 9 to 10% of those 160 million people have a biblical worldview. What, is he, what do we mean by that? Are we, did they understand um, predestination, progressive sanctification. They have a, a affirmed eschatological. It doesn't mean any of those things. Well, I mean, it does in terms of your overall biblical worldview, but not for the sake of the Barna survey. What the Barna survey is is asking people is, do you believe Jesus rose from the grave? The devil is a real being. God made the world and 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 you. I mean, the stuff Are you, you actually to, what you're claiming to Yes, be. the stuff you you were supposed to be taught in Sunday school as a child. That's Mere what, Christianity. Yeah, the, the absolute basics, man. We're not getting, you get to the times tables and that's where Barna stops in the math. We're not going, we're not, we, don't, we don't even get to division here. Well, I think you'll appreciate- Algebra. I know what you're getting. I think you'll appreciate the need for the word. I don't think it's necessarily basics. It's fundamentals a, because yes, yeah, that, it's yeah. way more than just the simple that's things. Very, it that's is a, that's the a guts. better way of putting it. Yeah. I think leave it to the Catholic to remind us about being about the, the, the need for fundamentalism. I, I'm going to owe you one for that. Thank you. So you got about nine to 10% of those 160 million people that have those beliefs, which really means you really have. And even if you account for people who have had conversions and they just haven't been discipled, you'd have to shave that 160 million number a lot. So if it's a little bit more than that 9 or 10 for some variance, that 9 or 10%, because 10% of 160 million would be 16 million, right? All right, so let's, 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 let's throw some variance in there, you know, and say it's 25 million. That's probably a high estimate, Okay. I mean, people have a, tr- a life truly committed to following Jesus. Now, here's the good news, though. That would still be uh, one of the most significant populations in, in the country. That's a lot of people, folks. That, that is a lot of people. More than enough people to make an impact. And this goes back to the Julia Louise Dreyfus thing. Because when you live in a country that was largely inspired by the principles of this worldview and you abandon that worldview, well, then you're going to abandon a lot of your country's principles. First of all, I'm, 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 I'm appalled. An actress of her, of her accomplishment level cannot read off of a cue card or a teleprompter less awkwardly than that. Goodness, I thought I was watching the Boom Goes the Dynamite Kid when you watch that video. Huh. I mean, how did she ever, how'd she get this far? And did you know, did you know, it's either that or she did that from some uh, basement in North Korea and she's blinking Morse code. I mean, that that's just damned awkward to watch. But that notwithstanding, uh, if you went to Aaron's Learning Spanish today, do you guys know what the Fifth Amendment says? The Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says no person shall be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And the Fifth Amendment is part of the first ten amendments, which are called the what? The Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights. So is she trying to tell us she doesn't believe that women are persons? Is that what, she's, is that what she believes? Oh, I know what she's going to, I know what her answer is going to be, and I'm going to get to it in a second. The Fourteenth Amendment guarantees equal protection under the law. 
for all lawful persons within the United States. Again, is she saying that females aren't persons? No, what she's going to say is, yeah, but, you know, the people who wrote that then kept women down and we didn't have the women's suffrage until the 20th century. What did I just say a few minutes ago? Is something true based on whether you believe it or not? Or is it true based on whether it's true? Right? Yes. So, so just because a few of these founding fathers may not have had the most enlightened views that you would prefer over gender, what, does the word, what did the word persons mean? In 1789, what did it mean? What did it mean? Persons. A person. Okay, what does it mean in 1889? Same. Same, 1989? Same. 2019? Male or female. 1419, what did it mean? 1219. When the Sumerians were writing on a cave 6,000 years ago, what did the damn word person mean? Person. When they ratified the 14th Amendment, post-Civil War in the 1860s and 70s. What did the word person mean? Well, yeah, but then, Steve, we had Jim Crow and segregate. You're right, we did. And when the Supreme Court overruled that, you know what they used as the basis for overruling that? Well, you folks down there in the South are violating the 14th Amendment, which says no equal protection under the law for every lawful American person. Doesn't say unless you're black in Mississippi. Did it say that? No. Nope. It didn't. So what is the point of this argument? There is no point. It's, a, it's pointless. Except the argument in and of itself is pointless. But it has a major point for all of us. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. We have not passed on our faith, we have not passed on our traditions. And as a result, we have undeniable nitwits like Julia Louise Dreyfus. Now, she made det- she, even if those things we were, we were doing a better job of passing them down, you'd still have an element of people who would wantonly be nitwits, willfully, wouldn't want to because they oppose these traditions. You know what, though? You wouldn't be subsidizing them right now. And it would be safe to call them nitwits without being banned on Twitter. And we wouldn't have pronoun day because they'd be a scant minority of people. And the rest of us would understand these are nitwits and we're just keeping them around so future generations know not to be dumb like this. And now I have to get to the letter. shortest verse in the constitution Lincoln wept Um, I posted this yesterday and somebody on my Facebook page and they were serious in a one in a one paragraph Hosanna had included the line this reads like something Thomas Jefferson would have written yeah you're right Um, we appeal to the supreme ruler of the universe with I've already given you a sample with respect to Pastor Brunson I will destroy your economy which by the way I'm all for I'm, I'm actually all for it okay and this is 
nuts. I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, you're dropping your kids off for school. You want to leave them with some parting words. Have a good day. Make good choices. Or... Um, don't be the devil. Don't be the devil. Yes. Don't be the devil. You know you're screaming that out at your kids tomorrow. And you drop them off. You know you are. Don't be the devil. In fairness, I'm sure some people actually are. Yes. So here's here's the thing. Um, <laughs> you're going to put a tidy bow on this? Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> here's about 10,000 things. Um, it's nuts. It's just nuts. I mean, there's no other way to put it. But I don't, I, I, the issue here for me is, is <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. What? There's an issue? Just one? <laughs> and then my mind has 10,000 issues it wants to address, and I'm trying to figure out which one do I go with. You're trying to be so grown up about this. And, and I don't want to hear the plain, please end with the plain spoken. No one talks like this in any leadership position like no one does ever i mean no one does ever i mean i i it, this is i'll call later and then it ends with and i will call you later it's just it's, it's great awesome. if i if, if if i would have been permitted access to nostradamus's cauldron even five minutes before the polls closed in november of 2016 and i would have been told if he gets elected, I'm going to get to see this. I would have raced to my closest polling booth, even even if I had to wait in line and and voted a couple times, just so because I I needed to be able to see something like this. This here's the you know what? Let me try to make a good point, other than the low hanging fruit that's out there with this. Or at least a, a point that I think is being lost. I said earlier this week that I that I think the mistake the president has made with Erdogan is projection. It's a different projection than the kind, the ideological one that we saw in the Obama and Bush years with the progressives in the State Department. You know, John McCain's uh, you know magical mystery tour to find the moderate Muslim leadership. The, the Syrian resistance fighters, right? You know, I mean, just, and, and we've just made ridiculous mistakes in this arena trying to do this. And I said earlier this week that I believe Trump is making the same mistake. It's just from a different, it's from a different premise. That the mistake he's making here is that, that, that this guy's my business partner. We got, you know, there's a hotel Trump in Istanbul. We can make a good deal. Didn't I just say this a few days ago? Yeah. This letter confirms all of that. That, that this letter is written from that premise. We can, in fact, it even begins with the words, let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people. Why doesn't he want to be responsible yeah, for that's that? Why, what would make you, why, what, why would, what would make you assume that? They've been trying to eradicate this sect in various iterations throughout, uh, the, throughout the, the Muslim world that's a, for decades. It's a notch on Erdogan's bed. Yes, it is. I mean, why would you assume this? Well, also from Trump's perspective, 
on the, what Aaron showed within 24 hours, why are you saying that these guys are worse than ISIS and then blaming a guy for being a tough guy for right? But now again, whether so now, that's true so, or not, yeah. So let's just say it's true. All right. So we helped. We fought alongside something worse than ISIS. We armed ISIS, and and so we don't want Turkey to wipe out something worse than ISIS. This messaging is what you're talking about. None of it makes you, sense. It doesn't because it doesn't because it's not. There's no. It has no sense. It's it's a it's it's it weird flex, but okay. I mean that's what it is. This is this is a narcissist who's butt hurt that a lot of people that have been with him un, almost nearly unconditionally and made all kinds of excuses for him, like the Franklin Grahams of the world, are not with him on this. And so he's grasping. Hey, they weren't with us at Normandy. I made a good deal. This because just admitting you're wrong about something just is cannot possibly nope. enter into the mindset of of him. That's just the reality of it. And then on top of that, we're up to our neck in all this, and people are apologizing. There was no way to get out of this clean. True, what, true, fair enough. Let's take that at face value, which brings me to my point that I brought up a couple days ago. But you won't get in the weeds on the border. You won't get in the right. weeds in other places. Why here? And, and while of you all are, places. and then you are going to get in the weeds in Mecca. We're going to get yes. in the weeds there. Why? Because impulse. I can't get out of Afghanistan. I couldn't get rid of trannies. My generals won't listen to me. It's only 100 troops. Screw them, man. We're doing this. This is something I can do. That's because that's how he operates. It's how we... I'm going to tell you something. In my career, and I said this before he got elected, I've never seen anybody behave differently in office than they did as a candidate running for the office. Okay? Ever. The, the way you presented the, the revolving doors we saw with him as a candidate, the, the mediocre talent you saw infesting cable news. Is this not been what we have seen as a, with, yes. with this presidency? No one's ever different for better or for worse. No one's ever different. Okay. And I don't, why would you assume he doesn't want to slaughter thousands of people? And can't you see him saying this to North Korea? Can't you see see him saying this to Kim Jong-un in one of those private meetings? You really don't want to blow up the world. Well, why doesn't he? I mean, obviously in history, some people have wanted to, right? Yeah. We have, we have examples of this. What makes you think that, these, that you, are, you somehow are living in the era that's immune to people who wish to do this, right? Right. So false premise number one, okay? Um. I have worked hard to solve some of your problems. Why is a United States president working hard to solve the problems of a dictator of Turkey? In NATO. Yeah. Why, why? Which, by the way, Trump railed against NATO the whole time he was a candidate. Okay. Well, there's that. All right. So why, why, why are we working hard to solve Turkey's problems? What's America first about? I worked hard to solve your problems, Mr. Erdogan. What's America first about that? Do you know? I don't know either. Don't let the world down. Why do you, what's America first about? Uh, hey, uh, don't let the world down. Who the hell cares? Do you care what the rest of the world thinks of us? I don't. So why, the, so if, if, if most Americans don't care, in fact, we're proud of the fact that most of the world hates us. We find it as jealousy. What do you think a tyrant like Erdogan's motivated by? Um, you can make a great deal. What makes, again, makes you think he wants to make a deal with you, the way that you define a deal. Um, he talks about the, 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 Syri- the, the Kurdish leader here is willing to negotiate and willing to make concessions that they would have never made in the past. And he's confidentially enclosing the letter just received. History will look upon you favorably. Why does he care? He's, he's, he's reading he's, from a different history, folks. Yeah, he's wanting to make history yeah. and be the victor. He's and of Saladin course, yes. in, a, in, a, yeah. in, a, in a Italian suit, guys. 
Okay? He wants to make history whatever he wants it to be. Yes. Yeah. He, in a humane way, you mean like when his thugs beat up American citizens on U.S. soil outside your White House a couple of years ago? Okay. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Again, why would you think he's motivated by any of this? Because you, 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 you guys had a hotel deal? Because he bought some of Javanka's two-bit clothes? Really? This is, this is a fundamental misreading of the world. It's magical thinking, and it's the same mistake leftists make. He's just making it differently. They, both of them, though, don't want to have to admit who people really are. And, you know, what history also shows the longer you go without admitting what evil really is, the more likely evil is going to win the day the more likely evil will, will manifest itself the longer you go without admitting this to yourself. So, yes, it's kind of funny, and I can understand why Trump supporters are defensive of it because it's, it is kind of his plain-spoken way, and, you, and, you, and you're tired of people who know big words and then, and then screw you over, and I, I understand your sympathies on that. But, but within this, while everybody else is going to clickbait this thing to death, Within this is a very dangerous view of the world for a U.S. president to have. And it's the same dangerous view that Obama had, just from a different premise. And it's the viewpoint that I project on other nations and cultures and our enemies, what, who they really are and what they're really motivated by, rather than I actually just sit back and let them show me with how, what they've actually done and what they've actually said. That's a very dangerous place, and that that magical thinking is what got him into this mess. That that is a far bigger problem for his presidency than Nancy Pelosi right now. The first time you're going to see me in my wedding dress is when I'm walking down the aisle. Marriage isn't always going to be easy. For better or for worse. Well, love is a, uh, it's a sacrifice. I may never be any more worthy of you than I am of grace. Leave us alone. What's happening? Downtown's under attack. People are getting killed. But we have to get out of here. Right now, we need to leave. Leave? I'm supposed to be getting married in 39 days, Dad. People are dying just two miles away. Go! Go! Get out of here! Run! It's chaos. It's anarchy. Every little family dream of three meals a day, kids, our bedtime prayers, it's over. Welcome to our worst nightmare. It's adapt or die. That's uh, a snippet of the trailer for the forthcoming movie, The Reliant. It comes out a week from today, uh, October 24th, 7 p.m., 750 theaters nationwide. One of the stars of the film, Kevin Sorbo, joins us here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Good to have you back with us, Kevin. How are you? Good to be back. How are you guys doing there? We are doing very well. So this film obviously takes on a hot-button issue right now uh, with the Second Amendment, where some of the some of the things that are being said in the moment, uh, in, in the current political climate, are becoming so nuts that yesterday, Kevin, uh, Congressman Beto O'Rourke from Texas was on CNN, of all places, being asked by Allison Camerata. I've been interviewed by Allison Camerata, so I know that the elevator there is not necessarily going to the top floor. 
Okay. Uh, being asked by Allison Camerata of CNN, um, uh, how do you expect, if we're going to just confiscate all the guns, how do you expect, you think mass shooters are just going to turn their guns in? Beto work long pause. I just think people will turn their guns in. You think mass shooters will turn their guns in? And he says, well, I think that he has no answer. And of course, I don't know if Allison Camerata even realizes that the same argument she's using against Beto O'Rourke on outright confiscation is the same argument for all of their gun control uh, policies. You're right. A mass shooter sees AR-15 banned. He was going to shoot this theater up, and then he saw the sign, and he thought, you know, my AR-15 is banned here in this theater, so I guess I'm going to go home now. Well, your movie, I'm guessing, is going to touch on some of these topics, looking at it, correct? Uh, most definitely. Most definitely. You, know, you just said exactly what I've been saying all along, and if they ever uh, get, get to the point where they end up banning guns, uh, period, any kind of guns or all guns, do they honestly think the bad guys out there, uh, gang members, whoever else, are going to sit around and go, oh, man, we got to turn our guns in now? I mean, come on. It's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, what are the substitutes for guns? I mean, how many terrorist attacks have happened with guys with knives, uh, guys running over people with trucks and cars? Uh, there's a lot of ways to handle this. But this, you know, it is a hot button you know, subject. And this movie deals with the economic collapse of America. And you see the rioting and looting going on. Think Venezuela. Think what's going on in Hong Kong even right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my family gets targeted by one specific uh, person. And uh, it's, um, it, it's a revenge tactic for him to be, to be used in a time where everything looks like it's okay to use it. And how else are we going to protect my family? We're a Christian family. We're a, fit, we're, a, we're, a, we're a Second Amendment family. We do have guns in the home. We're getting fired at. Uh, if I yelled at these guys and stopped shooting at us, uh, that's not going to happen. So the only way to fight fire is to fight it with fire. I, I, I doubt you saw this, but I love to go to movies that uh, like to from the left that like to touch on existential matters simply to see how they manage to avoid stepping on their own phallus from a worldview standpoint, so to speak, okay? And so a few years ago, I went and saw this movie, The Purge Election Year, all right? And, and this whole thing is basically about conservatives and white America and things of that nature. But at the end of the movie, the only way that these minorities who are being targeted by all these uh, racist uh, Republicans get, can you, can you guess, Kevin, what it is? What, what, what initiative allows them to uh, practice self-defense and fight back? It, by golly, it is private gun ownership private gun ownership is what allows them to defend themselves against their own racist government and i just wonder sometimes do these folks even understand the arguments that they're making are they even aware of 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 the the reasoning that they contradict so often on topics like this i don't think they are uh it's it's i don't know if it's ignorance or it's stupidity or a combination of both but uh i i have found that everything that the left blames the right for they're already guilty of on the left and you, you look at all the uh, A-list Hollywood guys that come out and every time there's a shooting, how they just go on and on. They put out these PSAs and uh, then you pop to what they actually do in their movies. And their movies are incredibly violent and they're shooting guns and killing people. So maybe they need to step up the game and uh, do a little more walking of the walk instead of the talking. And uh, just and, and, you know practice what they preach. Reading the release uh, that you guys put out for the movie, uh, you're pretty upfront about how at times faith-based movies uh, struggle with the uh, with the production standards of more secular films. So, how did you guys address that here in the making of the Reliant? Well, I find almost every movie that I'm involved with, whether I'm, whether I'm producing, directing, acting, or a combination of any of these things, 
uh, it's harder to get uh, movies that have a good message out there. We do independent movies, um, and they are independent, but they're still dependent on getting them into theaters. And Hollywood, you know, throws out $300 million movies like nothing, and they're able to do it. I like Avengers, too, and things like that, but they have $100 million to promote these things. These movies that are two, three, four million dollar budgets, they don't have big budgets to get in the theater. We can rely on word of mouth, a group of people behind it that will support it with a with strong word of mouth. But, uh, you know, it's, I'm not going to stop making movies I make. I mean, I, I, Hollywood's going to not stop the movies they make. We just need to step up our game and be a little more vocal out there. And people that want movies like this, because I get stopped all the time and people say, hey, we want more movies like you did with God's Not Dead and mm -hmm. What If and Let It Be Light. Well, I'm doing them, guys, but I need people to go out there and support these movies as well. Otherwise, they die very quickly in the vine. We need help um, to fight what's going on in Hollywood. You mentioned God's Not Dead, and uh, I know uh, Chuck and Carrie and the people there at Believe Entertainment very well that were instrumental yeah. in the making of that film with you. And I, I, I really thought that film was a turning point in faith-based filmmaking. And here's why. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a pivotal scene at the end of the movie where uh, Dean Cain's character um, is, is forced through the actions of his mom to contemplate uh, eternity for a few minutes. And the and and so often when we've made these films in the past, we feel like we've got to make this cheesier than a Hallmark film conversion scene right there, okay? And even mm -hmm. even believers are like, oh man, that's fingernails on a chalkboard. And yeah. because the reality is not everybody converts. In fact, it's a narrow gate. And and when the when the filmmakers gave him, and I've said this to Chuck and Carrie personally, when they gave that character the permission to contemplate it, look at it, and then drive away. I sat there in the theater that day with my wife, Kevin, and I looked at her and said, I think finally we figured this out. There's this, I think we're, we get hamstrung by this temptation that on one hand, I think we struggle to, comp to, to create compelling villains. You were a compelling villain in that movie. I think we're worried about glorifying evil, and so we make villains too often one-dimensional. And then there's this temptation that everything's got to be wrapped up in a tiny bow at the end. And I think you guys avoided that. And God's not dead. And I, I, I think we're doing a better job in recent years of avoiding those two traps. But you're the professional. Do you think I'm, I'm, I'm onto something here? I think you're definitely onto something. I, in, in fact, there's, uh, they, they wrote a movie prior to that that I was in called What If, and I mm -hmm. think What If personally is a better movie. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, they, obviously they're out there with Unplanned right now, which is, which is just a, a great movie. And uh, I hope to work with those guys again. But I've seen. The caliber, the production value, the the, the acting, the uh, behind the cameras, um, you know everything that goes on now in the faith-based world. Uh, I think the movies are getting bigger and better and stronger all the time. The cheesy element, I think, left 15 years ago and it started getting better from there on. Because uh, you know, I don't really want to do movies that preach to the choir all the time. I want the choir to support these things. But I want to reach those agnostics out there. I call them the independent voters. Which way are they going to fall? Hopefully they fall to the right. But, um, you know, it's, they're going to keep going. I've got five movies coming out, counting The Reliant right now. Uh, my latest directing one is called Miracle in East Texas, uh, set in 1930. We've got a great cast with John Ratzenberger and Lou Gossett. And my wife, Sam Sorbo, is in it. And Tyler Maine, who was Sabretooth on, uh, at all the X-Men movies, but he's yeah. also a very famous wrestler. And uh, we, it's a fantastic movie. And uh, we need these movies to get in the theaters. We need people to see these movies because they've got good, strong messages. Uh, there's always going to be hope. There's always going to be redemption. We have so much negativity coming out in the world right now. Everybody, I mean, stuff I get off Twitter from people. I mean, I just laugh at it. I mean, these people are so very brave in their privacy of their little apartments. Mm -hmm. You know, you should die and all this kind of stuff. Because I get posted, it's a beautiful day, and they'll attack me. So um, the, the, the left just... 
they they harbor so much anger and so much hate. And I, all I think that does is just make them more angry and more hateful. And that's sad to me at the same time. I got to ask you because I'm a big college football nut. And and I think the I was very I was very upset when Dr Pepper changed their marketing plan and got rid of that uh, guy for the Fanville ads. But the last two years, that's one of the best marketing campaigns I've ever seen. Yeah. So I so I've got to ask you about Brian Bosworth. All right. So forgive me a Chris Farley question. All right. Okay. I got to ask you though, what is that dude really like? You know, it's funny. I met him years ago. Um, he doesn't remember it because, I mean, at the time I was just an actor out in LA trying to get a gig and I was doing a lot of commercials. But he was, uh, I used to work at a Gold's Gym all the time. I used to live right in the Venice, Santa Monica border there and Gold's Gym is my, my home gym. And he used to come there quite a bit. So I, you know, met him a few times. We'd see each other in the gym and say hi. But uh, he was always cool to me even back then. But, uh, you know, we've, we've done these, this, this movie together and met a couple other times for other events. And uh, he's, 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 he still looks to me like he could still play, um, but uh, he's just, he was very cool. Uh, he actually, I was supposed to be in a movie, uh, the first Revelation Road that Pure Flix did, and I was unable to make it, and they got Brian to come in, and it changed Brian's life in a lot of ways. Mm. It changed him with his faith direction, changed him with just how he looks at life and how he looked at his own personal life and personal relationships, and uh, he's, a, he's a pretty humble guy, I got to tell you, but he gets into it. Uh, he, definitely, he definitely gets into it on set. <laughs> Yeah, the football player is still there, hiding in the hiding in the shadows. Before we let you go, make uh, the elevator pitch here to our audience about this movie's one night release a week from tonight, October twenty fourth, seven p.m. seven hundred and fifty theaters nationwide. Why do they want to go see this movie? Because it's a movie that deals with, like you said, a hot button topic right now, and that deals with the Second Amendment. I think this is a movie that. People, it's a different sort of PG-13 movie. It's a hard PG-13. I think kids under the age of 13, will it'd be a little tough for them to maybe watch. But I still think it's a very strong family movie. It's got hope. It's got redemption. It's it's uh, certainly what happens during this uh, turmoil that goes on within, within the American economy even rips the fabric of this family apart. But they do work their ways back to each other through their faith. And shows the reason why we have the Second Amendment wasn't to protect, uh, you know, wasn't to be, go out there and go hunting. Uh, it was the whole idea was to protect a government getting out of control. That's mm -hmm. why we had it. That's why those our forefathers put that in. And so, so the next war wouldn't have to fight the greatest power in the world, Britain, at that time with pitchforks and shovels. You know, it was the whole idea is to keep those guys in line because it is called we the people, right? We're the ones who are supposed to be running the government. But we're, we're not doing that, are we? We're letting the, we're letting the government run everybody's lives cradle to grave right now. You want to see the trailer for yourself? You want to find out uh, theaters near you, anywhere you're watching or listening to us today around the country, or purchase tickets, go to the website, thereliantmovie.com. All one word, thereliantmovie, all one word, dot com. Thereliantmovie.com. Kevin Sorbo, thanks for joining us again here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast, and good luck with the film, man. God bless, okay? Thank you. We'll see you next time around. All right, next take year. care. Kevin's appearance with us today brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factor. If you're one of millions of Americans struggling with chronic pain, uh, this is pain from inflammation in the body. If you have an injury, I say this every time we talk about Relief Factor, okay? Uh, we're not selling Benny Hinn prayer cloths here. If you've got a real injury, real uh, illness, go get professional medical help. Now, if you're those struggling with the normal aches and pains of life, inflammation in the body, that's where Relief Factor comes in. By the way, medical professionals are who created 
uh, relief factor. It's it's a it's a physician created, even though it's a hundred percent drug free. So these are medical professionals that can prescribe drugs, and then recognized after a while they got tired of treating symptoms. They wanted to help the body to heal itself the way it was originally meant and created to do. And that's where relief factor comes in. Four key natural ingredients are where it's going to drive your body to win the battle against inflammation and the chronic pain that it causes. And give it a shot right now for a dollar a day. That's all that it costs. That's how confident they are in this product that for a dollar a day for three weeks you're going to see results and come back for more get the starter kit for a buck a day at relieffactor.com three weeks for 20 bucks relieffactor.com gentlemen your thoughts on the conversation we just had with kevin sorbo you know we uh we joke uh about the dude code but we joke about it because it's actually a serious thing i mean this guy came up through hollywood and how did he survive how is he the guy that continues to last uh, make it all the way to this point, making the movie he's making, even though that's not easy. Well, honestly, it's just because there's a dude in there. It's It, it keeps you solid when all the uh, chaos is going around you. And secondly, uh, regarding the specifics of this movie, uh, this is not about a fictional tomorrow. This is today, right around all of our corners. When he's talking about... It sounds like a, you know, kind of a Hatfields and McCoys that was brewing and circumstances allowed to kind of go full. Fl- I, I truly believe this is around every corner. You see uh, environmental protesters being pulled off of a train today by frustrated yep. people who just want to go to work. Yep. This is not a fictional tomorrow. This is about a real today. If, if, if that worldview can drive you to be that threatening and disruptive in a time of peace and prosperity— what do you think that worldview is going to drive people to do should that peace and prosperity Correct. be threatened or taken away? What do you think they might do then? Is that what you're saying? That's absolutely what I'm saying. Aaron. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that this movie, and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that filmmakers that, uh, of a Christian bent, uh, faith-based uh, filmmakers, are, are opening themselves up a little bit more to these harder topics and these harder subjects as well. Because we're not really talking about guns here. We're talking about the same thing that Unplanned actually talked about. That, mm-hmm. is, that is the right to life. And how do you defend that? That's not guns, uh, the, the, the thing with the trigger and a bunch of metal parts and bullets. That's not the real issue here. And, I, and I'm hopeful that this movie effectively communicates what's truly at stake here. It's not just because a bunch of nuts uh, want to have their really cool boom boom sticks. It's because we really do take our responsibility to protect those that we love seriously. And I hope this this movie effectively makes that point and communicates that. And, and I am hopeful that it does. I want to go back. Let's go back to the conversation we had yesterday about that Allison Camerata, Beta O'Rourke um, clip that we played. Mm-hmm. If, if you are the, the 2020 Trump campaign, Wouldn't it be political malfeasance not to have that thing clipped for later use? Because again, she she undermines Beta O'Rourke by using an argument that undermines all of people like her's arguments on gun control comprehensively. Of course. So why wouldn't, to me, I think that indicates, and, and, and you know, we had the conversation yesterday, we need to rehash it. Are they aware of it? Or are they just like, we got to stop this guy from doing this and we'll clean up the mess in aisle nine later on. But I think even if you guys are both right, and I, I agree with you, I think that, that that will be what they're thinking, all right? Doesn't it show, though, the fact that they have to so risk publicly undermining their own premise on an issue that they've been trying to drive for decades? 
doesn't it show really how how much of a political loser this issue for them really yeah. is? That they that 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 the only way they can now think of to get the beta or works of the world to stop talking and risk blowing an election for them next year they think is very winnable, is they have to now admit that everything that they say on this issue is a scam. And they have to risk exposing that and then hoping you don't remember it later on when they try it again. What does that tell you? Well, that's what I mean, and you told me to say it over and over again. They, they don't really have a grand utopian version for the future that they believe will actually work. They don't have one. They just want to destroy the past, which why you think, why would they do this? That's exactly why. As long as they get to that destruction, those risks are worth it because no contradiction really matters for the future. They have no future to offer you. Which is why we're going back. To the, we were one of the first people to point this out to you. The new progressivism is the old paganism. Mm-hmm. We're just going back to all the stuff Western civilization left behind in the Dark Ages. That's really all we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Right? We're to promote behaviors and activities and notions that we Western that made Western civilization the superior culture to most of the rest of the world. We're going to go back to the, and undo those things that set Western civilization apart in the first place. That's really what we're talking about here. Sounds great. Other than that, it's got a wonderful singing voice. (laughs) (laughs) This, this, you know, I I had a friend of mine, a a good friend of mine texting me yesterday. He was pretty conservative and, and he's just had it with Trump. And this letter was like his last straw, this Erdogan letter, Erdogan letter. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Listen, man, narcissistic uh, you you know uh, crazy narcissists are right once or twice out of ten communists are wrong twelve times out of ten he didn't text me back after (laughs) (laughs) more in a moment And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand, but not all that much in demand here on Blaze Radio TV and Podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todders and Aaron McIntyre here with me as well. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We're going to have Theology Thursday coming up here in just a matter of moments. And yes, I did finally center on a topic because we got a really good question that's very uh, newsy right now, topical right now, from one of our listeners. And we're going to try to answer it to, to the best of our ability coming up here in just a few minutes. And then we'll have three non-political questions coming up at the bottom of the hour. Theology Thursday brought to you by our friends over at Riduzone. If you are struggling with controlling your appetite so that you can lose weight, um, it's not just you. I mean, your body was made to crave and conserve calories. It's only been a recent development in human uh, human history that food has been readily available and convenient for the masses. All right, so how do you cut back on those cravings? How do you cut back on those portion sizes? Because it's often it's not what you're eating, but how much. That's where Riduzone comes in. There is a little molecule in your body called OEA that goes from the belly to the brain to let the brain know when you are full. But when you spend years kind of uh, going over that speed bump without stopping for it, eventually it just levels itself off. And that's where Riduzone comes in. All it is is uh, an attempt to boost your OEA with more OEA. Make that signal from the belly even stronger so your brain will then do its metabolic thing. 
All right. Not loaded with chemicals or additives or stimulants or caffeine. Uh, it's just OEA. That's why it's FDA accepted, gluten-free and vegan friendly. All right. So if you want to give it a shot, try it for three months at 30% off. If you use my name, Steve, as a promo code, why three months? Well, it takes about 90 days usually for new lifestyle changes to get uh, hardwired into the subconscious. So that's why three months is a good time to see if this works for you. 30% off a three-month supply, promo code Steve at RIDUZONE.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, RIDUZONE.com. All right, let's fire it out. It is time for some Theology Thursday. And this week we have a question from Jake Wilson, who sent this email to us this week. While I disagree with you about the withdrawal from Syria, mainly because I just don't care about Syria, Turkey, or the Kurds, I find it interesting that you keep talking about Trump losing evangelical votes when he does this. Now, I myself am LDS, so perhaps I am missing some of the evangelical nuance here. Does this mean evangelicals are interested in continuing to send our soldiers to die in the Middle East because it is in Israel's interests? Do evangelicals believe that protecting Israel should be one of the U.S.'s primary focuses on foreign policy? Does this mean that evangelicals support a permanent U.S. presence in the Middle East because protecting Israel is somehow in U.S. interests, no matter how much blood and treasure we spend in the effort? I'd like to understand the answers to these questions better because currently I cannot seem to wrap my mind around this being the case. Well, Jake, you have asked really good questions. And this is really where the, the worldview rubber meets the road. Okay? So, best way to answer this. Um. There has, there has been, within the last century especially, within, a, within Western Protestantism, uh, a surge of, a, of an eschatology, that's an end times view, is what eschatology means, or study of the end times, so, how, in, from a theological perspective, how God brings history to a head. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, within American, within a, within Western, but specifically American Protestantism in the last century or so, and and to explain why we'd have to go through the Scopes Monkey trial and what that did to uh, fundamental Protestantism. It's and a really interesting thing, too. It, it really is, but it would be a long conversation. All right, you, Todd made a reference to fundamentals in the last hour. Fundamentalism comes out of this area at a group of Christian businessmen who were concerned that the Protestant church was losing its, its, uh, its anchor. And so they started sending these uh, mailings around the, and these printings around the country out of, off their own, out of their own pocket, and they called them the fundamentals. That's where the term comes from, okay? But there was, um, you saw a lot of, of, of American uh, Protestantism became embarrassed by what came out of um, uh, the Scopes Monkey trial and early attempts of, of Protestantism to engage the new mass media culture and the radio era. And there was a massive division. And a lot of the churches that held an eschatological view similar to the ones that Catholics like Todd have, which is called amillennialism, all right? And then a lot of the Protestant churches that had 
um, an eschatological view similar to the ones like the Puritans and the people who founded the country had, which was based in, in a notion of what's called post-millennialism. A lot of those churches ended up losing their salt and denominations out of this and, and liberalizing and, and becoming what we call mainline Protestantism or what let's actually, we used to call it that. Now the devolution has just continued into often cases of just heresy. Okay. And so a lot of those denominational traditions of the eschatological end times views that they had were lost. And the, the American Protestant and Western Protestant, but specifically American Protestant churches that held on to orthodoxy were the ones that were heavily influenced by uh, the notes found in a very popular Bible at the time called the Schofield Study Bible. Um, and, and so uh, places like Moody Bible Institute and others that, um, well, Moody, who inspired the Bible Institute. I'm, I'm trying, you need to know some of this background. I'm just trying to self-edit in real time here so we don't go on a, not that I care about following this rabbit trail. I just want to give you your answer before we run out of time. But if you don't know this context, the answer won't make any sense. Okay? So, uh, let me just make it as simple as I can. A lot of the uh, the American Protestant churches that held on to, to orthodoxy, um, were those that were influenced by an alternative eschatological view, often referred to as premillennialism. And then within premillennialism, premillennialism there's, there's offshoots of that. But the most popular form of premillennialism is what's called dispensationalism. And um, through the influence of places like Moody and the Schofield Bible and those sorts of places, this became the only eschatological view that the vast majority of American Protestant Christians have ever been taught or encountered. And they're kind of shocked when they find out that historically there has been other views. I've, I've seen this in my own life. I've witnessed it. Okay. Um, and that's why the, what the, the best-selling original nonfiction book of the 1970s was Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth which surmised that Jesus would return in 1988 because it was in 1948 when Israel was chartered as a nation by the UN and the Jews were allowed to return to their homeland. And Jesus said that it would be only be one generation and that would, they took that as a literal 40 years and that Jesus would return in 1988. Well, when he didn't, then they moved the number to 40 years after 1967, because then they said that the, the, the Jewish people did not reclaim Jerusalem as, as, the, as their capital, um, except after the Six-Day War of Yom Kippur in 1967, and so the countdown clock began then. Obviously, we've had more than 40 years since 1967, but, but this is a driving uh, viewpoint within much because if, if you're LDS, you're probably politically conservative, okay? And therefore, the, the vast majority of American evangelicals you're going to encounter are going to be politically conservative because you guys are running in the same political and cultural circles and hanging out in the same places with your families. They have largely been taught only one eschatological viewpoint, and it is this one. And inherent to the dispensational view and again, if you're a theology professor, please don't, don't, don't sue me. I'm doing my best here from a layman's perspective in the time that I have to make this as simple as possible. Because I think it's, a, it's an important question. You're watching it play out in our headlines in the news right now. The one that Jake is asking. 
inherent to the dispensational view, among other things, are two particular viewpoints. There are two particular pillars. The, the notion of dispensations themselves, the idea that history is marked by, by, by God um, dispensing law, grace, uh, the church age, which is the dispensation we're in now, okay? And that, is there seven of them, Aaron, I want to say? Is there, that, that that's, the church age is the final dispensation before the end of the age, I believe. Sounds right. Okay. Yes. That's one, okay? Um, and so when they say the church age, they mean the age of the, the, age of the, of the New Testament, the, the Christian church. That's what they mean. The second is that there is a separate historical culminating plan for the Jewish people aside from, uh, specifically for the nation of Israel, aside from the Gentile world. All right? And that, that, that the events that transpire, certain events that transpire, and Jesus did command us all to watch the signs of the times. And so there's certain signs of the times they're watching for to transpire in Israel in order to indicate that the end of the age is, is upon us. And one of them occurred in May of 1948 when the UN chartered the return of the nation of Israel. That's, that's the key trigger, actually. And there's, good, there's various dispensation, premillennial views here. Is there, do they, the Jews rebuild the, the Temple Mount or not? That gets us down a whole nother rabbit trail. But by and large, the va- and I mean vast majority, like I'd say 75, 80% or higher, of American Protestants who have, who have any eschatological views, this is the only view they have been shown or taught. And you saw this in how uh, all was, they, I think there were 13 left behind books or something like that. A all lot of them. Yeah. All of them have been New York Times bestsellers because they, they are an articulation of this viewpoint. And Tim LaHaye is, was one of the primary teachers of this in the 20th century. So because of that, there is th- that the vast majority of, of American Protestants believe, and then there are plenty of American Protestants who may not per- dis- uh, subscribe to these eschatological views, per- particularly, but have a similar view that whoever bless if if you if if you bless Israel, God's people, God will bless you, and if you don't, God won't. And so, yes, to your to to some of your questions you're asking here. They would say that it is of preeminent importance in American foreign policy to stand with Israel. Otherwise, you risk losing um, as, as the mandate of heaven, as Pat Robertson put it. You risk incurring God's wrath, frankly, by not doing so. And that is one of their driving forces. That is why... It's, it's a theological viewpoint. It might simply just be because um, it's a theological recognition of the Jewish people as God's chosen people. And it might go all the way to the eschatological conviction of this is a key in the end of the age. But wherever you may fall between uh, in, in that spectrum, yes. This is why evangelicals are staunchly pro-Israel, often more pro-Israel than a lot of American Jews, frankly, if you look at it, okay? Um, and why you often see really conservative Jews like my good friend Daniel Horowitz um, aligned with American evangelicals on foreign policy uh, is because that's, this is one of the driving forces. Am I answering this okay? 
Yeah, I think so. Am I? Am I? Am, am I? Am, is am I coherent? Yeah. Yeah. And can I mean can we can we put sure. a bookmark there and maybe I can yep. sum up yes. what we've had uh, so far. So the the question is why why do you keep saying that Trump is risking losing support of evangelicals for his actions in northern Syria right now? That's essentially that's right. essentially. So the the reason is is because people worry that as Turkey, Iran, other forces in the Middle East become more and more powerful, that puts Israel at, at risk. risk. Why yep. do we care that Israel is at risk? Because of this theology of the end times, this eschatological teaching uh, called uh, premillennialism and dispena- uh, specifically dispensationalist premillennialism, which stipulates that there is a great deal of importance to the physical nation of Israel, and that is a very, very uh, ubiquitous uh, end times teaching amongst uh, evangelicalism in the United States, biggest block of of Trump supporters. And uh, one of those things is, as Israel goes, as we bless Israel, we'll be blessed. If we don't, then we will not be. So there's a lot of worry that as all these powers get stronger in the Middle East, yep. that we risk losing God's blessing because that poses a threat to Israel. And this particular circumstance um, has a has a double whammy, Jake, because at risk is a Christian population of some substance, maybe by some estimates up to 100,000, that are at risk of, of being persecuted, if not killed, by these Turks. And so when you throw in the double whammy of giving hegemony in, in the Middle East to countries that are uh, anti-Israel, and then you throw in, oh, by the way, part of the collateral damage could be thousands of Christian lives. Yeah, yeah, these, these evangelical leaders are going to say that, see that, and say, you know what, that, man, we have uh, partisan politics covers a multitude of sins, and uh, we have looked the other way on all kinds of things for Team GOP and Team Trump that we have not been willing to look the other way uh, on if outside of the partisan political arena. But this one is takes us too far now. Now, now, now you're asking us to violate essentially the driving impetus. One of the driving impetuses, along with the pro-life issue, I would say what we're discussing here is second only to the pro-life issue. In the driving impetus of, of of American evangelical political engagement, now, and that's largely because issues like religious freedom and gay marriage are relatively new. Okay. Um. So now you're now you're saying I've got to I've got to violate one of the one of the driving impulses that has me involved in partisan politics at all, and then I've got to do it in a way that puts thousands of potential Christians' lives at risk. And that's why you're seeing people who have looked the other way with Stormy Daniels, with with um, just just you know we we know the list. I don't have to itemize it for you, but a lot of people either ignored them or or defended them. You know, notice who you haven't seen Jerry Falwell out there on CNN yet defending this, for example. Okay, Jerry Falwell Jr. I should say. So a lot of people have been willing to clown themselves to defend things that a lot of people would say are not defensible, and particularly from a Christian viewpoint, are either now suddenly stone-cold silent or on the record in opposition because of what we're describing here. Did you want to chime in on this, Todd? Well, I have a question. Feel free not to ask it because this is just— Not to answer it, you mean? —my Catholic okay. 
filter, but you, it might help. You, you kept saying they. You're not one for ambiguity. You weren't saying we. Uh, and you've never been shy about talking about this, but I've never, while you are knowledgeable about all of this, you you kind of talk and think like a like a Catholic in many ways about this. Part of amillennialism has specific connotations, but some of it are more broad, a Catholic sensibility of there's we we don't know enough to be literal about this there's and we're talking about numbers and you know as well as anybody there's numbers numbers of biblical perfection mm-hmm. what, things like that and, and part of the catholic approach to this is we just there's there's so much we can't have confidence to speak dogmatically about where ironically here fundamentalist protestants are very dogmatic about a lot of this but mm-hmm. i go to that you kept saying they I, I why are you a they on this and not a we because I think it's more vague and, and not as simple as uh, the Schofield Bible notes make it out to be. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean I don't agree. That doesn't mean I don't think there is a theological case for any of this either. Oh, correct. Okay. It's, um, it, it's just, I worry about an eschatology. If I'm spending more time thinking about a specific view of eschatology, than I am looking forward to meeting my maker. Yeah, I, th- that's a big thing with me. Yeah. I, I often think, you know, you know a tree by its fruit. Okay. And to me, right theology ought to lead to right belief and right behavior, right? You, a, a good tree bears good fruit, right? So one of the things that does disturb me about this eschatological viewpoint is that it tends to create conspiracists out of people. It tends to create paranoia in people that I know are really strict adherence to it. And, and for that, I don't understand. I mean, if I thought we were, I thought this was what we're here for. I thought we wanted Jesus to return. Why is the end of the age something to fear? You know, I, I watched a John Hagee video several years ago where he literally said that we need George W. Bush to bomb Iran before they wipe Israel off the map. And uh, and initiate or before I'm sorry before they initiate the war of Gog and Magog that's a part of this, and I'm like why? Like I want to defend Israel from Iran because they're our friend, right? But I I don't I don't why isn't the war of Gog? Don't we want that on some level? Don't you want Jesus to return? That's the part about a lot of this that makes me uncomfortable. That doesn't mean I don't think there's really good uh, biblical exegetical reasons for some of these. Uh, there's several of these notions, okay? And this is where we get down a whole rabbit trail. I'd prefer not to go down, all right? Um, I'll simply say this for my own view so I, I don't cop out. My own, uh, my own view is that I do believe the Jewish people, now hear what I'm saying specifically. I do believe that the scriptures make it clear that the Jewish people hold a place of priority and specialness in the heart of God. I did not say Israel. I said the Jewish people, okay? What I, what I mean by that is, um, even Moses said to the Jewish people, um, I have set, God has set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life so that you may live in the land. Why did they have to be brought back in 1948? They had been dispersed for centuries, Okay. That was not the first time they had been dispersed. They had been dispersed on, on other occasions. Why? For disobedience. 
So I don't believe Israel is, is, un, is unconditionally correct. I'm not a nationalist. Okay. Um, I think, so I think if Israel decided that it wanted to get on, get it, go, go all the way in on the rainbow jihad and the secularization and everything else, then no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think just because they have a landmass there that that holds a disobedience, holds a special place in God's heart. And he has demonstrated throughout, throughout his word, it doesn't. He'll erase your borders if you disobey him. He's been pretty clear about this. Yeah, like whole books about this, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You know, why is Daniel, why is he in Babylon? Why? How'd he get there? How'd that occur? Where'd this Nebuchadnezzar guy come from? Right, so I do believe the Jewish people hold a special place of priority uh, and affection in God's heart. But I think that that it's, it, I think that's the same covenant that God has with us as believers at any age, which is that if we obey him, he blesses us. And if we don't, he does not. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And then I think from a geopolitical standpoint, Israel is of, of preeminent importance because they're the only country in that part of the world that on any level whatsoever shares a common value system with us. And it would be, you know, even if you're an atheist, it would just be geopolitically foolish to not to abandon them and uh, to abandon them in one of the most strategically important parts of the world to a worldview that has almost nothing in common with us, really. When you look at what drives it, where it originates, what's the heart of it, none of it. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Anybody want to push back or comment on that? No, not on that particular point. Okay. Is there anything I didn't answer that Jake brought up that I I should? I think so. I mean, I'm trying to remember the email here. Does that mean evangelicals support a permanent U.S. presence in the Middle East because of protecting Israel? Um, I, y- yes and no. There's plenty of evangelicals that hold all the eschatological views I just described with great conviction. That don't think that that are have grown tired with America as mall cop of the Middle East. Okay, so I don't think I don't I think they're dogmatic. There's a dogmatic view. It's, there's not a lot of dogmatic dogma about how that view has to take f- shape. Does that make sense? In fact, I know a lot of evangelicals that think in, instead that, that actually have the Ron Paul position with this theology on Israel. We should stop giving funding to Israel. And instead let, because there's a notion that maybe Israel has held back on what it's had to do to defend itself at times because out of fear of the, yeah. the, of the U.S., um, you know, kind of coming in and saying, hey, that's a bridge too far. Maybe they'd be better off not taking any funding from us at all, especially given how, how economically prosperous they are as a people right now. They probably don't even need it. And just free them up and say, hey, you know what? I mean, you guys uh, have been at this with these people long before there was the United States of America. We're taking the handcuffs off and, you know, have your way with it. So I, I, I bring all those things up to say the viewpoint is more dogmatic than the shape or form that that viewpoint will take. Does that answer your question as well? Yes, it does. So what we got about five minutes. What's the, what's the challenge I'm going to get in my email? You think that we, that oh. <laughs> we could preemptively answer in the time we have remaining to what I just said. Uh, something, something, when is Buck Williams doing a feature piece on turning desert into arable land in Israel? I don't even know who that is. Who is that? Buck Williams. He's one of the main, main, Kirk Cameron's character from Left Behind. Oh, Buck Williams from Left Behind. Okay. I'm sorry. You're right. That was a great reference. I, I, I blew that one. You're right. Yeah. I should have gotten that one. 
Can you think of any question, Aaron, I'm going to get that I can answer right now in, in four minutes? Well, I'm like you were trying to trying to deduce things from that letter that Trump sent. Uh, there's like there's probably 10,000 things you're going to you're, you're going to uh, get hit with. So thanks for doing that. Um, I, I would I would say, how do you view, though, in, in light of what you said about uh, this is more of a general question, kind of a, a little bit of a rabbit trail. What do you view then as signs being watching for the signs of the times then in light of what you said about your view, not of Israel, but of the Jewish people and believers in general? Does that make sense? What Are you asking me what I think is the um, end times countdown clock? Yeah. Why are you asking me that? I'm, I think it's an interesting do, question. Do, 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 what did I do to make you hate me? You, you I pay you well. This is you why I laughed when you said any other I, questions. I pay you, you well. You asked the question. I pay you friend. well. Do I, I, what did I do to deserve this? Was I not kind to him when he was young? This is why I, I spoiled him when he was a child. I pay him well as an adult. Tell me what I'm doing. What did I do so to deserve I'm, a reprobate? I'm, I'm made like this. a funny, and then you you double down. Hey, any other questions? <laughs> I'm, I'm Homer in the Ask bush right now. now. I've got some antichrist questions on my mind, but I'm just hiding in the bush. <sighs> Who is the Antichrist, Steve? I don't even know who the UN Secretary General is right now. I don't know who it is right now. I don't. Well, based no. on, well, I'm just going to say it. Based on all this, and is the Pope the Antichrist? That's been, is the UN guy, which is part of the books. Based on all of this, isn't the most obvious Antichrist whoever the president of this nation of Israel is at any one time? Actually, well, I, I want to push back on the Pope as Antichrist, all right? If the, I think, I believe the official position is Whore of Babylon, and let's uh, get that right, Okay. <laughs> All right. Not, not, I mean, he's got an important role to play here in the downfall yeah. of the of of, uh, of the church at the at, yeah. at the end of the age. But I believe that, that that the Pope is often portrayed in this case as the horror of Babylon. If I know my uh, is, left, because I've read them all. If I know yeah. all the left behind books, I believe it's horror of Babylon and not Antichrist. Is he don't, really don't, that don't, in those don't, books? Don't, don't oversell the, your level of influence over sorry, there, Rome. All right, sorry. The, come on. Uh, I got proud. Who's the? Who's I got the Who's the Leon Fortunato <laughs> in all this? Oh uh, the worst, the one of the worst villain uh, depictions of all time is Leon Fortunato in the Left Behind books. Yeah. You're like, what a great name! But what do I know? I mean, those guys sold 80 million books, man. So I, I don't, I clearly don't know anything. I mean, I, I got to defer. I just Leon Fortunato. For those of you that don't know your Left Behind lingo, uh, he's the he's the false prophet. Yep, he's essentially the mouthpiece, the the Grover Dill. Of the Antichrist. <laughs> Eschatology you know, we just is talk so about this absurd, amongst... you need the Christmas story to explain you it. You know when we just talk about this amongst ourselves as Protestant errands, this doesn't sound nearly as crazy as it does when we bring other people into it. Um, and then suddenly it starts just to sound freaking nuts, right? God is over there silently judging us. Can you? I, I hope don't think he's being he's all that laughing. silent about it, as a matter of fact. I hope color-coded rapture chart guy from the Which, airport That did happen us. to me at the Charlotte airport once. That happened to me. Yes. We need him. Yes. And I had another guy tell me at the Faith and Freedom Coalition once uh, several years ago that he was convinced that Tony Blair was going to be the false prophet of the Antichrist. And he had like his whole lineage laid out. You know what's funny? The Ukrainian president is a spitting image of Nikolai Carpathia. Is he really? Yeah. The guy, the actor who plays him in the movies? Yeah. Nice. All right, we'll come back with three non-political questions as we go from the sublime to the ridiculous here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Stay tuned.
Hey, you're right to be looking for ways to protect your wealth, your retirement uh, savings and finances from trade wars, currency wars. How about biased media trying to provoke a recession so they get the election outcome that they want next time? You work too hard to put your money in the hands of politicians and fake news. So yes, look for unconventional ways to insulate yourself. But why not do so with the option that has proven over time and time again, really since the beginning of time? I'm talking about the golden rule here. Whoever has the gold rules. From the beginning, gold is where smart people and successful people have put their money to protect themselves from scheming politicians. Listen, I get why you're looking for an alternative uh, currency right now. You're informed, independent, and it says you're nobody's sheeple. But why gamble on untested cryptocurrencies when gold has proven to be the solution to corrupt, ineffective governments for centuries? Call the most trusted name in gold right now, Swiss America, toll free, 800-289-2646. That's 1-800-289-2646. That spells 800 by coin. Ask them for the Timeless Truth About Gold report and DVD. It's free. All right, it's free. The Timeless Truth About Gold DVD and report, and it's free right now at SwissAmerica.com. That's SwissAmerica.com or 800-289-2646. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. That is exactly right. We couldn't keep talking about eschatology for the rest of the hour. We probably wouldn't have been on the air tomorrow had we, uh, had we done so. So we needed to move on. Probably needed to move on that quicker than we did. Yes. I mean... Yes, we did. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers to Steve's inbox. We'll start with question number one. It's a pretty good place to start. Your thoughts uh, and prayers don't help anything. Yeah, well, there is that, though. <laughs> there is also that. Um, what are your three most underrated non-political Twitter accounts? Uh, three most underrated non-political Twitter accounts. Super 70 Sports, number one. It's one of my favorite Twitter accounts. I love that account and it's snarky and it's funny and it goes back, you know, uh, and covers sports and pop culture back at a time when uh, pre political correctness. And I don't know if it intends to do this or not. It, it ends up actually unintentionally, maybe providing some of the greatest cultural commentary out there by just depicting the, uh, the 60s, 70s and 80s as they really were, you know, but super 70s sports for sure. Um, I've I've got to find out, you know, there's there's like seven. I got to keep up with what's going on with my Wolverines and my Lions and my... So I'm just going to put like all my Michigan sports fandom. Can I just do that as just one ad hoc? Sure. Because I can't really pick one because there's about seven or eight of them I visit on a, on a frequent basis, okay? And then I'm going to say... Um, Well, they, they too often delve into politics, so it can't be the Babylon Bee. That's, a, that's an obvious one. Um, I'll say... I don't have a Pinterest account. They're not on Twitter anyway. That's a whole separate social media, isn't it, Ron? 
Yes, I acknowledged Ron back in the in, yeah. in Dallas. Isn't Pinterest an entirely different social media thing? Yeah. Yeah. So we're just talking specifically Twitter, Twitter accounts, accounts, right? Yep. Okay. So I'll say um, Fopolini. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good one. I like What's that. This started several years ago as a guy when Bo Pelini was still coaching at Nebraska. And a guy created a, a, a parody account called Faux Pelini. Yeah. It's precious, man. There's another one that I thought long. It's called Freezing Cold Takes. And I've gotten burned on this a few times. And it's a guy that literally keeps every sports prediction that every media person makes. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps them all. And he waits for them to just flame out and 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 end up wrong. And then he, is, he just goes back and retweets it without any commentary. And just lets it just sit out there by itself and simmer. It's like you Cato know? in the Pink Panther. Yeah, he just wait, Hello, he's just sitting around friend. waiting. And what's funny now is now there are some sports people that are like, I don't, freezing cold takes tag this bookmark this tweet you might get you're going to be using this against me in about five years right so i have gotten lit up and lit up on this guy's account a few times so that's a, that's another really good one so obviously in the um, same vein as a uh, babylon b that uh, fake north korean t- ddk oh, yeah. is yeah, that yeah. okay news yeah, yeah I, I thought that was explicitly political yeah i think though, you're right but i just so wanted to yeah, say but that's it anyway. a great one it provides yes. me much joy you know it, it, there's a great uh soccer highlight videos that as frustrating as soccer is hey you asked the question so you're going to ask me about my views on the antichrist it shows but when i retweet this stuff uh or on facebook it actually has non-soccer fans get to look at what actual the quality of soccer without any of the dumb politics or all the u.s women's nonsense that's going on uh the beauty of the game so uh, there is that. Uh, there's some cool uh, cooking recipe uh, follows. Uh, I do like to cook and have to uh, contribute in that way quite a bit. So that's okay. that's excellent. Yeah. So that's that's uh, two. Uh, and then, well, you know, movie fanboy getting a site. It cites that now that just it, I used to follow because you know. I'm uh, born of the Star Wars age, but now they just make my blood pressure boil, and I'm just I can't wait for December or whenever it comes out so we can finally wrap this thing up and just mock it with all the evidence before us. It's going to be good, which is going to perplex you all the more. It's going to really trouble you that you like it. It's going to really bother you. Okay. I just I I think it's there's no way it can suck as much as the Last Jedi, so I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. That's kind of where I fall on that. Uh, my three. I like how you just trolled Steve right Lloyd, there. Lloyd Legalist <laughs> is one of them. A really great parody account. I've seen of, it. Yes. Church curmudgeon. Uh, church, yeah. Not, I don't like church curmudgeon quite as much, but Lloyd Legalist is, uh, is a good one. Uh, another one that's really good is St. Augustine. Uh, so it's a mashup of quotes from St. Sta- Augustine and Joel Osteen, like with no oh, delineation. Wow. Oh, it's, oh it's, I've not heard of that. That's, it's that's Saint, phenomenal. St. Augustine. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. That's great. And then there's this one Twitter account. We've all seen videos from this. I didn't know it was coming from the same guy. And it's literally the name of the, the, the guy is just Guy, G-U-Y. And uh, it's, his t- Twitter handle is just at a piece by Guy. And he just does the most just stupid things in such a deadpan way. It is, it's hilarious. You got to have a, a certain sense of humor to appreciate it, but it's pretty hilarious. A piece by Guy. Um, question number two What's the last full album you listened to from start to finish without stopping? Wow. And what That's... year do you estimate that happened? Oh, <laughs> oh. grief. Um, 
last full album I listened to. I mean, I can't remember. I, I don't think I have bought an album since Stain's debut album in like 2002. Um, I'm going further back. It, I mean, that's because ever since then, everything's been digital, you know? So first we were all on Napster and then they got thrown in the, in the clink. And then it just became, you know, iTunes and Amazon and everything else. So, uh, what's the last time I bought an album at all and then listened to it all the way through? I cannot remember the last time that I did. What about what about when your kids bought albums? Did you listen to it all the way through? Well, you were what you, would you, you were forced to. I, yeah. Do movie what, soundtracks <clears throat> count? Like like before, you know, when when she was Hannah Montana. So that when our girls were really little. Mm-hmm. That that might be the last time. Cuz I bought it for them and then when you're driving around everywhere, you can't help but listen to the whole thing all the way through. That that might be the last time um, I've, I, I bought an album and listened to it all the way through. The, the only three I can think of that it could be, and we're going back into, I mean, more than a decade. It would either be U2 Joshua Tree or U2 Octung Baby, or it would be Alice in Chains' Jar of Flies, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Those are the three that come to the top of my head. <clears throat> well, Jar of Flies, I think, is the most recent of those albums, right? Didn't Act Tongue Baby come out like 91, 92? I think Jar of Flies came out a little bit later than that. that yeah. And Joshua Tree would be 87, right? Is when that album came out. So Yeah, but, it's, wow. you know, it just... It's just, it, it goes to, I mean, it, it goes to show how much, even since the days of CDs, how much listening habits have changed mm-hmm. since you guys were kids. Because mm-hmm. you can just listen to what, even when CDs came out, you could just fast forward through the songs uh, you were less likely to listen to the whole. You know what? Album. I remember it now. Okay, I remember it now. It was the uh, Chipmunks soundtrack for the kids, for all three kids, after the first Chipmunks movie. Okay, and they did uh, like the uh, they did the Katy Perry "Hot and Cold," uh, you know, cover song version on there. I bet with, you enjoyed the, that. It was the mm. Chipmunk movie with the with the chick and the guys together. Yeah, that soundtrack. We bought it at Christmas for the kids because they loved that movie, and I probably came home from work to them dancing to that every night for month for the entire winter. That would be the last one. That one. Just saw in real time what happens to a man of daughters. Yes. I'm with you. Yeah. And uh, Noah's dance would he would we've got video of it when he was really little, when he used to dance with the sisters, he would just stomp around the room angrily. <laughs> <laughs> oh mercy. Uh for me, so my girlfriend invited me to a concert a few weeks ago by this band called AJR. Uh and holy cow, they are really interesting, really good. I ended Never up, heard of them. I ended up uh, liking them quite a bit. So I I've listened to that album a couple of times here in the last few weeks. It also it also helps. I'm I'm listening to more music the last couple of weeks too, because combined my Chiefs and Hawkeyes are 0 and 4 in their last four games, so I don't feel much like listening to podcasts, but not not doesn't that to, just suck too because you like can't watch you can't watch you anything, can't listen but, to any of the analytical shows you like to listen to because you yep. know they're going to bury your team and they're right and you're just like i don't want to relive yep. all that crap again so yep. i just i don't i can't listen to it i'm with yeah. you yeah. yeah uh speaking of nine inch nails i mean that's a good good i hurt myself today just to see if i still feel that's perfect uh question <laughs> number three uh what's on your mount rushmore yes we're doing this uh mount rushmore of heist movies now this one is a little bit difficult 
So I'm going to start off. Now, a heist movie where the whole movie is about stealing something, essentially, or taking something without being caught. Uh, my my top uh, four heist movies are, and not no particular order, Baby Driver. I thought I don't know what you thought of that movie. Good movie. I thought it was a good movie. It's a good movie, yeah. Uh, Ocean's Eleven, classic movie. I don't like it. Uh, Italian Job, also another Very classic good movie. movie. Yep. And I know this one is a lightning rod Inception. It is a heist movie. Uh, Inception, for whatever Brilliant reason, movie. despite all the supposed plot holes, it's just a, a, a really strange, entertaining, amazing movie. I'd be fine. Yeah, I would. I, I'm fine with the Italian job being in there. I'm definitely fine with Inception being in there. Would it, would you count Butch Cassidy and Dance Kid in that genre, even though it's a western? Is that more That's of an escape kind of or not a heist? Well, they've got to escape because of their heist. So it's 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 it it I is is there a heist in the movie? Yes. Then yes. Okay. What about the sting? I don't think I've I don't think I've seen that one. Okay. Um and, and there's I know there's an obvious one that I am forgetting. I know there's an obvious one. Am, am I forgetting an obvious one? I don't know, because I'm gonna do a mix it, uh, mine won't be so critical, there's, but more nostalgic and Reverential like things like that. Like, well, on. I think Romancing the Stone. That's from, a great one too. From yeah. our, uh, uh, I would rescue it because of we just got done talking about the bad stars. Solo is a heist movie, oh, and it's yeah. a really well done heist movie. It just is. It's piled under the crap that came before it. It's they did a great job with Solo. It's it's not a great movie, but it's a very good Star Wars offering. Uh, so Solo. That's, uh, uh, there's one a few years ago that a lot of people liked. Uh, yeah, I can't put uh, Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg and Woody Harrelson uh, were in it. Now You See Me. That yeah, that's actually really an underrated movie. I mean, I wouldn't say it's an all-time classic. I thought about but, putting that on But there. the first one was a, was, was, a, was a surprise hit, which is why they made a sequel. The sequel doesn't hold its jockstrap, but the first one is really good. Really underrated movie. Yeah, you'd love it. I think you'd like it quite a bit, actually, Todd. Yeah, I remember you talking yeah. about how it's good. That's a good one, too. So that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it for the. So, did you guys both have your, uh, both have your, uh, you know, Mount Mount Rushmores of uh, of heist movies? I've I've never been asked my favorite heist movie before. I've been on this earth for forty six more than forty six years, oh. and no one has ever asked me that. So well, this, so I guess gonna, that was a great question. Yeah, we're gonna somebody's gonna rescue us. I mean, like the the Dukes of Hazard being the most obvious answer to theme songs. We didn't come up with it. Somebody's right. gonna rescue that's us. That's why. I, that's why I left a spot open, like Paul, for the tomb of the unknown god. I am sure there is an obvious one. Like a, I just thought, like a treasure of the Sierra Madre. Would that be considered a heist movie? I've never seen that. Considered Humphrey Bogart's greatest role, maybe other than obviously Casablanca. What do you, what do you have okay? against Ocean's Eleven? I I just thought it, it it struck me as too hipster, and it just struck me as. These guys, it, it, these guys are, are are too aware of how cool they are, and it annoyed me. Is National Treasure a heist movie? Yes. I love that. That, yes. that. that would make that be. I love, that, I love movie. that movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Ocean's Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen. I would agree with you, but I can't see that criticism. I, I mean, sure. I, I didn't unenjoy it. I right. thought it was a good movie. I just no, didn't find it the Brad, transcendent Brad, experience I was the, sold. The Brad Pitt thing. He's always eating something. He always really looks. I, I get that. He lo- always seems too cool for school. You know, I get that. Hey, if you want to take advantage of plunging mortgage rates in a booming economy, that is, uh, that's a wise uh, investment, especially right now. Winter is coming, which means you, if you're looking to buy, you could find sellers desperate to get out of their home before the market slows down with the winter. It could mean if you are a seller, you might find buyers that want to get a, get that move in 
done before winter arrives. So the timing right now is good. Just make sure you go in with an agent that you can trust. That's why you want to check out the website, realestateagentsitrust.com, where you're only going to find agents whose track record has been vetted and proven to be successful, who have shown that they understand what marketing plan means, and it means something more than I'll call you when there's a house in your price range, or let's do another open house this weekend. And we're only going to find agents who know professional courtesy is a baseline expectation here. All right. It's, it's, it's not a hope. It's, it's an expectation. If you want an agent that checks all three of those boxes, then right now you want to go to this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, realestateagentsitrust.com. For the overtime today, we're going to stick around and tape that here in just a little bit for our Blaze TV subscribers. Our good friend, Kurt Schilling, will be joining us, and we'll take a look at uh, the Major League Baseball postseason, uh, which had a rain out yesterday. Must-win situation, I think, for the Yankees tonight. You do not want to be down 3-1 to one at all. But you don't want to be down 3-1 to one with Justin Verlander on the mound. And you already got him once in the series. And you, so you have to, I mean, what are the odds you to get that guy twice, right? So I think this is an absolute must win for the Yankees tonight. And then, um, yes, I'm sure the fact that I have been sitting on for the last uh, th- three months, a Nats 22-1 to one to win the World Series ticket. I'm sure that may come up. Somebody might bring it up. I mean, I won't. But somebody might might come up in our conversation with our good friend Kurt Schilling. So that's going to be the overtime today. BlazeTV.com slash Dace if you'd like to be a subscriber to Blaze TV so you can see the overtime and all of the exclusive content we do each day right here at Blaze TV. BlazeTV.com slash Dace to get a discounted you, subscription. You really buried the lead there. You've got a you've got a twenty two to one Nats to win the World Series. Yeah, I didn't want to I didn't want to bring it Boy, up. I but had, but I'm glad you since you I asked wish you would have told us that yes. before yeah, five times. You yeah, know. yeah, three months ago, I I I bought a twenty-two to one Nats to win the World Series. And by the way, Kurt was asking me, "Hey, what what was our preseason World Series picks back in March?" You know, I don't remember his, but I do remember that mine was the Nationals against the Yankees. And that's still alive. That is still alive. That's what I picked back on March the twenty-sixth on our old show. We talk sports, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be something? See, I got to I got to I got to punk this guy because he's kicking my ass in our fantasy football league, and I'm just humiliated. I'm humiliated because he knows and I know and I know that he knows that I know a lot more about that than he does. And he's crushing me right Is now. Anything Is anything going right in your football world? Not right now. No. And so I so I, I need to get back in him by getting the World Series pick right um, seven months ago. <laughs> that's that's my revenge. I got to get back. Gentlemen, any final thoughts? We got about a minute left. Todd, um, what do you think about uh, what, what? What do you think? Who, if, if you, if I put a gun to your head right now and asked you who the Antichrist is, who do you think it would be? <laughs> and two, one, there's the music. He's at the Amazon Synod right now. Nice respect. I can play. Well played. I loved it. Remember, whore of Babylon, not the Antichrist. Got it. All Sorry. right, that's all right. All right. Hey, everybody, have a great day. Horror Babylon or not, you two out there. All right. Until tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern after Glenn Beck, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.